chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. A time for everything. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to hear and a time to mend, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded, there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we gather here together today to, to worship because you are worthy. You're worthy of it all. And Lord, we pray that as we reflect on your word now for a few moments and Lord, in the context of what we're living through as a nation in these days, Father God, I pray that you would just lift our eyes and lift our hearts to heaven where we would see the glory and the majesty of Christ who promises us everlasting life, in whose name we pray, amen. Lovely to see you this morning. Uh, thank you, Rodney, for reading from uh, Ecclesiastes uh, earlier today. It's not a book that we look at that much. It's not a book that we study together that much. In fact, uh, we sometimes hear these uh, quite famous passages from it at particular uh, events in personal lives, uh, such as weddings uh, in the life of a nation. Uh, that's why I thought it was quite appropriate uh, for today. But it's, um, it's an incredibly insightful uh, book, and I think God speaks through it in quite powerful and important ways uh, to us at those big moments uh, in our life. The uh, book was written by King Solomon, uh, and it begins in chapter 1 with the immortal phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I have to say, 
when I read that, I think I love this. This is my sort of book. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the wavelength with this guy. Um, but what he's saying here is that um, it's not him that's saying that life is vain. That's to say life is meaningless, purposeless, uh, that you know, there's, there's no point to it all. What Solomon is saying here when he's saying vanity of vanities all is but vanity is that when he looks around him in life, in the society in which he lives, he sees that for so many people living in his day and his nation at that time, that that's all they think. That life is meaningless, no great point to it all, it's just empty, it's just futile, what's the point? Sun rises, the sun sets. We're born, then we die. Generations come, generations go. Everything in the end is meaningless. And I think the tragedy is that so many people in life still think like that today. And Solomon describes these people in a, a great phrase that he uses loads and loads of times in Ecclesiastes. And he says that these are people who live under the sun or under heaven. And what he's saying there is that there's a whole group of people in life who just are utterly consumed by the day by day who just live their lives for the things that go on around them in life. And then they lose perspective on the big things. If you live under the sun or if you live under heaven, you lose a heavenly perspective on things. And the problem with that is that when it comes to dealing with some of the big challenges of life, then we've no perspective or no equipping to know how to deal with it. If death is the end and there's nothing beyond it, then what is the point to life? And what is the point of anything we do in life? Now, we still live in a society where death is one of the big taboos. We rarely talk about it. It's rarely spoken about openly. And that's because for many people, Death is the end. And if we see death in that way, then we don't talk about it because it represents pain, it represents suffering, it represents more than that, it represents fear. A fear that that's it. Everything's gone, everything's meaningless, everything is futile if we see death in that way. But, you know, I think these events, these historical events of the last 10 days that we have lived through, this very public talking about death, this very sort of overt display of death that we've all seen, this outpouring of grief, the rituals of mourning that we've seen, I think all of this has done something very significant in the life of the nation. And that is to prompt us or to prompt at least millions and millions of people to contend with death, to think about it, to move beyond the here and now of our lives, to go beyond that which is temporal, and to grapple with 
the eternal, to look beyond the confines of this world, and to start at least asking questions about what lies beyond all of this. And I think there's a moment of great hope, and I think there's a potential moment of great transformation in all of that as well. Why do I say that? It's because for every one of us, when we get to that place of looking beyond the here and now, and looking beyond the limits of this life, and contemplating what lies beyond this life, we get to that threshold space between the here and now and the eternal. And the only person who stands in that threshold space is Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who grants access to the eternal. And that's why I think this is quite a big moment for us. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus tells us. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to heaven to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. His promise is that life is not meaningless. Life is not futile. Why? Because death is not the end. Now, to understand that, to embrace that and to live that out as the reality in our own lives, we need to accept and believe in Christ and believe in his promises and believe that he died for us and believe that he conquered death for us. And we have to do something else as well. We have to change our entire perspective on life. We have to move from a place of being governed by the events of the everyday, which leave us drained and which leave us vulnerable to seeing life as utterly meaningless. And we need to recognize instead, as verse 11 of today's reading puts it, that God has placed eternity into every human heart. What does that mean? that we've got eternity built into our hearts. It means that every single person who is born in this earth has been created not just for life on this earth, but has been created for life beyond this earth. That is not to say that what we do on this earth is not important. It absolutely is. But it also means that we need to begin to understand our lives on this earth as part of something bigger than ourselves, as part of something bigger than our work, as part of something even bigger than our families. It's bigger than all of that. It's bigger than our pastimes. It's bigger than everything. It's hard to put it into words what that means, but there's a lovely bit in Psalm 139 where David uh, puts it into words uh, much better than I could. And he says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. 
You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And in this lovely bit, such knowledge is too great for me. Too great for me to understand. We don't always understand our lives. We don't always understand why things happen in our life. We don't always understand why we're called into certain places where we're asked to serve in the way that we do in life. But I totally love this perspective that David gives us uh, on all of this. He's saying, God, you're in control. I don't understand everything about my life, but I'm vulnerable and I'm honest enough to admit to you that there are things that I just can't get my head around. We don't know why things happen to us. We don't know why certain things happen in the earth. We don't know why we went through a difficult time. We don't know why someone died at a certain age or a certain moment of their life. We don't know why a young 25-year-old woman ended up being crowned queen of this nation and of a whole commonwealth, even though when she was young, she prayed every single day of her life that her mother would have a son so that that burden that she saw in her father would not rest on her. But God called her into it anyway. We don't understand why things turn out the way they do. At least on this earth, we don't understand it. But when we come to that point of understanding and believing that God has placed eternity into our hearts, then everything changes. Because at that moment, we have the perspective to say, Lord, I don't understand, but you know everything about my life. And more than that, I trust that you know everything about my life. And I trust that the day will come when passing through into eternity, I will look back at my life and I will be able to say, like David at the end of that psalm, Lord, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was written in your book. None of us this side of heaven will be able to understand everything that's written in the book of life about us. But we've got to learn to trust that the book is written by God, that our lives are written by God, that he is in control uh, of our lives, and that we trust in him. One of the greatest tributes that I want to pay to the late queen this morning is to say that she had an eternal God-given perspective on life. She understood that all the days of her life were written in God's book. She understood that duty was difficult. She understood that service was difficult. I was struck when Rodney was reading it about verse 10 in that passage. You know, I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Service is not easy. Service is always sacrifice. It doesn't matter if you're a monarch or if you're doing something much 
less uh, than that. Service is sacrifice. There's a burden that comes with it all. But the late queen said, duty and service were, yes, difficult, but I stand before you in the presence of God and I promise to serve to the end. And she did that. And it can't have been one bit easy. Uh, We all saw the pictures of that last week in Balmoral where she was frail. Uh, And yet she received her 14th, I think, uh, prime minister uh, to uh, our 15th prime minister. uh, In fact, the, the new prime minister just two days before she died. I mean, that is service. That is service and commitment to the end. Queen Elizabeth understood her life as service, but she understood it also as vocation, a calling by God. She understood that she was set apart to do a certain task in life. She understood that her whole life was about something much greater than just herself, greater than even monarchy. And yet it wasn't high and mighty. Her vocation was to serve people to serve a nation and ultimately to serve Christ in doing so. And that's why in her Christmas message every year, she described this profound but totally uncomplicated relationship with Jesus, a commitment to follow his example of service, of selflessness, of humility, of sacrifice, of loving others, of striving for peace, of doing her part in building God's kingdom. And we're all called to do these things. But she knew that that meant putting herself second. And that's why in that particularly moving uh, address to the nation that she gave in 2012, that she spoke movingly of God sending Jesus to serve and not to be served. He restored love and service to the center of our lives in the person of Jesus Christ, she said. Isn't that amazing? He restored love and service to the center of our lives. There's a real challenge in that, isn't there? Before going on to quote the beautiful Carl in the bleak midwinter, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. God loves it when we give him our heart. It doesn't matter what we do. You know, sometimes I hear people saying things like, um, oh, I only did this or I only did that. It's not that important in the grand scheme of things. But God doesn't measure what we do in the way that the earth measures what we do. God isn't looking at it uh, in those terms. If we serve with a glad heart and we serve in whatever we do, big or small, uh, at least in human eyes, if we do that with a willing heart, then God loves that and God honors that service. It's important to him, no matter what we do. And we serve, yes, knowing that we'll sometimes get things wrong. We're not perfect. We'll not always understand some things, why they turn out the way that they do. But we simply say, I'm here. I'm available because I love you. Because you first loved me. And my heart is to do your will. And when we do that, God really honors that. 
I think we sometimes get so bogged down in just seeing service as, you know, successful outcomes or measurable targets or whatever it might be. It's not about that. It's about the heart that goes into it. That's what God gives God glory. That's what he looks at. That's what pleases him. That's what he honors. And we've got to, we've got to learn to see things in that way. I think that's why the late queen was used so powerfully. She cut through all of this kind of confusion and noise and complication of the modern world to display and to live out this simple devotion to Jesus. And I think she was such an inspiring example to so many people because not because she wore a crown or because she lived in some big palace, but because in her life she pointed us to the utter beauty of the Trinity the power, and yet the gentleness of God. The Christ-like passion for peace. The incarnate showing up, being with people, week after week after week after week to the very end. The dynamism of the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel, committing to loving acts of mercy, loving her neighbor, all the while openly declaring that she needed God and she needed to pe for people to pray that God would empower her to do what she had been called to do. And in her death, this good and faithful servant continues to point us to God. I don't know about you, but one of the things that has really struck me about the last 10 days or so is the number of people who, when they've been interviewed on TV, have said things like, the death of Queen Elizabeth has connected them to something greater than themselves. Sometimes that's people who've said things like, you know, the Queen was a constant in my life. She's the only monarch I've ever known. She's the only stability that I've ever known in life. She was unchanging, the only unchanging thing in my life. And this has really unsettled me because it's reminded me that no one on this earth, no matter how powerful, will last forever. We've had stories of people who knew the queen from Balmoral and said, told us why she loved that place. And they've said she loved it because of, it's a landscape. It's a, what we call a thin place that connects us powerfully to the majesty of creation and to the creator himself. We've seen these stories or heard these stories of people in this massive queue of 22 hours or whatever, who are bound in community with each other, but who are heading to a sacred space, almost like a pilgrimage, and some of them have used that word. We've heard stories of people emerging from St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh or Westminster Hall in London, deeply moved at the spectacle of this catafalque with a coffin sitting on top of it, but having also noticed an empty cross the great symbol of hope towering above that same coffin. These past days have been very difficult for many people. There's no doubt about that. But I think they have challenged us. And I think they have challenged us to lift our eyes from the banality of ordinary everyday life and to turn our perspective onto something more eternal. They've given us an opportunity to pay tribute 
to the life of someone who was faithful in service, faithful in pointing people to God, faithful to pointing people to God's eternal perspective on life. Which of us will ever forget her historic and much needed words at a real low point in the pandemic when she said we should take comfort that while we may have still more to endure, and we did, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. They were words of encouragement, but they were words of a true servant, of someone with a God-given eternal perspective on life who knew that even a pandemic would not have the final say on our lives. They were the words of a disciple who saw service as a privilege because she served the one who had overcome even death itself. She served the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. She built her life on God's faithfulness. And she stood on that solid ground of eternity, which means that whatever comes our way, we will never be shaken. We spoke in here a few months ago. It's funny, we talked about the seasons of life uh, in that reading we had today. And we talked a few months ago uh, about the, uh, the Jubilee. And we talked about the only book that the Queen has ever written a preface to. And the book, you might recall, is entitled The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. So symbolic. That's, that's the only thing she ever wanted to write an introduction for. I looked at it again in recent days, and you know, there's a really wonderful line in there. It's a line which simply reads, I have indeed seen his faithfulness. I mean, it's so simple, but it's so profound. Which of us can go through life and just have that perspective on things and just be able to stand back and say, do you know what? Some things I got wrong. Some things are a mess. Some things I don't understand. But I have seen his faithfulness. And that is all I need to see. It's such a different way of looking at life to the world's view of looking at life. It's this eternal perspective that God puts in our hearts. It means that we recognize that Jesus Christ is King of Kings, sovereign over all, the one who knows the beginning from the end. I think we need increasingly to be people of eternal perspective for these days and these years ahead. I think we increasingly need to be people who lift our eyes to heaven. And whatever's going on in our hearts and whatever's going on in our heads and whatever's going on in the chaos and confusion around us, we need increasingly to be people who have that humility to say, Lord, help me to see all of this as you see it. Because all my days are written in your book from beginning to end. None of this is a surprise to you. Help me to see it as you see it. I sometimes worry that we become, or we, become, we easily become, and I am uh, first in the queue in this, we easily become sucked into the everyday goings on in life. 
And they take on this disproportionate importance in our head that they ought not to take on. And I just think every so often we just need to to ask, take a step back and to ask God to give us his perspective, that eternal perspective on these things where everything falls back into place again. I think sometimes we become frustrated when we don't understand things or we don't understand why things turn out the way that they do. And I think sometimes we just need to take a step back and say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't get any of this, but I trust that every day of my life is recorded in your book. And this is not a surprise to you. I was thinking about this last night, and you know, I, I kept thinking, it's so funny that word burden, you know, came to mind when Rodney was reading uh, earlier today. And I was just thinking, and I, I just sensed the Lord, you know, giving this message about, you know, people who maybe feel in this particular season that we are in, that service is difficult that you're serving in a way that you do feel is quite burdensome. And you know, I just sensed the Lord saying that his message today is, I see your heart. I see your heart. Stop beating yourself up. You've given me your heart. That's all I ask. That's the most important thing that you can give. Nothing takes God by surprise. Every day of our lives is written in his book. We've got to start seeing things the way he sees them instead of measuring them in earthly ways and then falling into that cycle of despair as we do. This is but a chapter of our lives on this earth. And yes, there will be different seasons in this chapter of our lives. There will be a time to weep but there'll also be a time to laugh. There'll be a time to mourn, but there'll also be a time to dance. There's a time to be born. And yes, for all of us, inescapably, there will be a time to die. But for all of us who believe in Christ, that moment of death will not be the end. It will be the passing into a new chapter of our lives. A new chapter where there is no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain because all of these things that we associate with this earth will have passed away. When it's our turn to pass from this earth, and we don't know when that day will be. That day is preordained. We don't know, but it will come. But the Bible tells us that whether monarch or whether mere subject, on that day, if we have faith in Christ, all who follow in Christ to the end will inherit a crown of righteousness. So for today, we give thanks for a dedicated servant whose faith has inspired us to keep that eternal perspective on life. For 70 years, Queen Elizabeth II was at the very heart of a nation on this earth. Today, she is at the heart of the eternal God. Let's pray together.